Chapter 7 Evidence We need clear evidence of that work of grace in us. I have finished expounding on habitual readiness, which is maintained by an indwelling work of grace. The following particulars are the things in which our actual readiness lies. The first one to be dealt with is the need for clear evidence that this work has been done in our own souls. This will greatly increase your strength and comfort in a suffering hour. Blessed Paul, who here professes himself ready both for bonds and death, was clear in this point. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12, chapter 4 verses 6 through 7. Had he been cloudy and dark on this, he could not have said, I am ready. No, he would have been in a bad way to undertake that journey to Jerusalem. In dark and difficult days, you will find it a remarkable advantage to have all clear and right within. To expand on this, I will 1. Show what the evidence or manifestation of the work of grace is. 2. Show how it appears to be of such great advantage to a suffering saint. And 3. Prescribe some rules to obtain it. First, what is it? What is the evidence of grace? In short, it is nothing except the Spirit shining on His own work in the hearts of believers, enabling them to perceptibly see and feel it to their own satisfaction. This is expressed in Scripture under a pleasant variety of metaphors. Sometimes it is called the shedding abroad of the love of God in the heart. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Sometimes it is called the lifting up of the light of God's countenance. Psalm 4, verse 6. And sometimes it is expressed without a figure of speech, as in Christ's manifesting himself to the soul. John chapter 14, verse 21. To develop this, I desire that you will consider these six things. 1. This evidence is attainable by believers in this life and to a very high degree and measure. Many of the saints have had it in full measure. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 12, John chapter 4 verse 24, John chapter 21 verse 15. 2. Though it is attainable by believers, it is something distinguished from true grace, and many precious souls have gone mourning because they did not have it. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 10. This was sometimes the case with Heman, Psalm 88, David, Job, and many more. 3. While it continues, it is the sweetest thing in the world. It swallows up all troubles and doubles all other comforts. It puts gladness into the heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. Psalm 4, verse 7. 4. The Spirit acts arbitrarily both in the continuation and removal of it. No one can say how long he will walk in this pleasant light. Scripture By thy favor thou hast made my mountain stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. Psalm 30, verse 7. And when in darkness, no one can say how long it will be before that sweet light breaks out again. God can unexpectedly scatter the clouds in a moment. Scripture it was but a little that I passed from them, but I found him whom my soul loveth. Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verse 4. In some of David's psalms, there is such an observable difference between the beginning and the end that it seems as if one man had written one and another man the other. 5. Though God can quickly remove the darkness and doubts of a soul, the saints ordinarily find it a very hard and difficult thing to obtain and preserve the evidence of their graces because of the darkness, deadness, and deceitfulness of the heart. 
There is so much unevenness and inconstancy in their practice, so many counterfeits of grace, and so many wiles and devices of Satan to rob them of their peace, that relatively few live in a constant and quiet fruition of it. 6. Despite all these things that increase the difficulty, God has provided His people a sure light and sufficient means of improvement by which they may attain a certainty of the work of grace in them. There is a threefold light by which it may most clearly and infallibly be discovered. The first light is the light of Scripture, which is able to reveal the secrets of our hearts to us, and is therefore compared to the dissector's knife. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. The second light is the innate light of grace itself, or if you will, the light of experience. 1 John chapter 5 verse 10. It has some properties and operations that are as essential, necessary, and inseparable as heat is to fire, and may be as sensibly felt and perceived by the soul. Psalm 119 verse 20. The third light is the light of the Spirit added to both the lights of Scripture and grace. It is sometimes called its earnest or pledge, sometimes its seal. The Spirit plants the habits, excites and draws out the actions, and shines on His own work so that the soul may see it. Sometimes it shines with such a degree of light that it can only bring peace and quiet to the heart, though it does not fully conquer all its doubts. Other times the heart is irradiated with so clear a beam of light that it can draw the triumphant conclusion and say, Now I know the things that are freely given me of God. I believe and am sure. And this ends my brief explanation of the nature of this evidence. Next I will show you the advantage this evidence gives to a suffering saint to correctly manage a suffering condition. I will give you four things to consider. 1. You will readily grant that Christian's love for God has a mighty influence on all their sufferings for God. This grace of love enables them to victoriously break through all difficulties and discouragements. Scripture Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 7. It facilitates the greatest hardships. 1 John, chapter 5, verse 3. And whatever a man suffers, if it is not from this principle, it is neither acceptable to God nor available to himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3. Nothing inflames and quickens Christians' love for God more than the knowledge of their share in Him and the perception and taste of His love to the soul. Our love for God is but a reflection of His own love, and the more powerful the stroke of the direct beam, the more powerful is that of the reflected beam also. Never does that flame burn with a more vehement heat than when the soul has the clearest manifestations of its interest in Christ and His benefits. Luke chapter 7, verse 47. 2. It is of exceptional use to a suffering saint because it takes out the sinking weight of affliction. That which sinks and breaks the spirit is the conjunction and meeting of inward and outward troubles together. If the Lord does not extraordinarily support the soul, it will be wrecked and overwhelmed, as the ship in which Paul sailed was when it fell into a place where two seas met. Acts chapter 27, verse 41. Oh, what a tempestuous sea the soul falls into that has fightings without and fears within! How must that poor Christian's heart tremble and dwell on terror when he retires from troubles without and looks for some comfort and support within, 
but instead finds a sad addition to his troubles from where he expected relief against them. For this reason, Jeremiah so earnestly deprecates such a misery. Scripture Be not a terror unto me, thou art my hope in the day of evil. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 17. This is prevented by having a clear conscience and having all quiet within. Then you are like one who has a good roof over his head when the storm falls. Scripture We glory in tribulations, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. 3. It is a fountain of joy and comfort in the darkest and saddest hour. From there come the glorious triumphs of saints in their afflictions. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Much of the Christian's strength for suffering lies in his joy in the Lord. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. If the spirit droops and sinks, you are in a bad way to suffer. Holy joy is the oil that makes the chariot wheels of the soul free to follow the Lord. There is no delay when the wheels are properly oiled. To suffer with joyfulness for Christ is an evidence that God's eye watches his suffering servants. Colossians chapter 1 verse 11. Oh, how the famous worthies that went before us magnified Christ and glorified religion by the holy triumphs of their faith and joy under tribulation. One kissed the summoner who brought him news of his condemnation and was like a man carried away with an excess of joy. Another, on the pronouncing of the sentence, knelt down and with hands and eyes lifted up, solemnly blessed God for such a day as that. How Christ is magnified by this! But this cannot be until our interest is made clear. It is true, resting faith gives the soul secret support and enables the Christian to live, but the faith of evidence keeps him lively and prevents all those uncomfortable and uncomely sinkings and despondencies of spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 16 through 17 and cannot help but be of extraordinary use to a soul at such a time. 4. Last, it is of special use to Christians under sufferings since it enables them to repel the temptations that accompany sufferings. Nothing puts a sharper edge on their indignation against unworthy proposals than this. Cloudy and dubious Christians will be apt to grab at deliverance, though on terms dishonorable to Christ, but those who are clear about their interest abhor compromises and capitulations on unworthy terms and conditions. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 34 and chapter 11 verse 35. Those who see the gain and reward of suffering will think they are being offered lesser things when life and deliverance are set before them on such hard terms as sin is. You now see what influence this evidence has on a suffering condition, and I promised to prescribe some rules for securing this evidence and dispel those doubts by which it is usually clouded in the souls of believers. I pray that by the faithful use of them you may attain it in preparation for a suffering day. Rule 1. The first rule I will give to you is this. Make it your business to improve grace even more, for the more vigorous it is, the more evidential it must be. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-11 through 11. Often, many Christians spend so much time seeking after the most inferior signs of sincerity that can exist with grace, but if they had spent that time in the diligent improvement of the means of grace in order to increase it, they would have found a much shorter cut to peace and comfort. Rule 2. 
do not confuse the standard by which you are to try yourselves so that you do not give false judgment on yourselves. Some are apt to mistake things for signs of grace that are not, and when their falseness is detected, that poor soul who leaned on them is plunged into doubt and fear. If you conclude your sincerity from your diligence in listening to the word preached, this is a fallacy, as the apostle calls it, by which you deceive your own soul. James chapter 1 verse 22. For that which is a note or mark must be proper to the thing marked and not common to anything else. There are different sorts of marks. Some are exclusive, and their principal use is to convince bold pretenders and revealed hypocrites. It is a most certain sign that where these are there is no grace, but it does not follow on the contrary that where these are not there is grace. The Pharisee's prayer demonstrates this. Luke chapter 18 verse 11. Others are inclusive. Their use is not so much for the testing of the truth as it is for the strength and degrees of grace, such as when faith is described by its radiancy or by some of its heroic acts and promises made to some raised degrees and operations of it, as in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 12. A mistake can be easily made here, and besides those, or rather between these, is another sort of mark or sign. These are called positive marks. These, agreeing in the lowest degree of grace, are for the trial of the truth and sincerity of it. Scripture, Hereby we do know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. 1 John 2, verse 3, is an example along with Matthew 5, verse 3 and 1 John 4, verse 13. Be sure to test by a proper mark. Rule 3. Be careful of sins that violate and use up the conscience, for these will quickly raise a mist and envelop the soul in clouds and darkness. Psalm 51, verses 8-12. Such are sins against light and the clearing of your conscience. Rule 4. Work to avoid the common mistakes that Christians make in judging their state. These are the five principal ones I have selected. 1. Do not call your condition into question at every failing and involuntary lapse into sin. Scripture Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, thou shalt purge them away. Psalm 65, verse 3. In short, you do not need to call your condition into question, provided you find your spirit working as Paul's did when surprised by temptations. That is, if you approve of and delight in the law even though you fall short of it in practice, Romans chapter 7, verses 12 through 14, if your failings are involuntary and against the resolution and leaning of your soul, Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 19, if it is the load and burden of your soul, Romans chapter 7, verse 24, and if thoughts of deliverance comfort you, Romans chapter 7, verse 25. 2. Do not question the truth of your grace because it was not worked in the same way and manner in you as in others, for the Spirit uses a great variety of circumstances of time and manner between one person and another. Compare the history of Paul's conversion with that of Zacchaeus the jailer or Lydia to see the variety of circumstances. Luke chapter 19, Acts chapter 16. 3. Do not conclude that you have no grace because you do not feel those extreme emotions and ravishing joys that other Christians speak of. If you cannot speak as Paul does, still bless God. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39. If you cannot, just breathe out such language, Lord, I believe, 
Help thou mine unbelief. Mark chapter 9 verse 24. 4. Do not say you have no grace because of the high attainments of some hypocrites who in some things excel you. When some people read Hebrews chapter 6, they are startled to see to what a glorious height the hypocrite may soar, but they have not considered that there are three things in which they excel the most glorious hypocrite in the world. The first is that self was never dethroned in hypocrites as it is in them. All that a hypocrite does is for himself. The second is that the hypocrite never hated every sin as the person of grace does. He still has some Agag, Rimmon, or Delilah, 1 Samuel chapter 15, 2 Samuel chapter 4 verses 2 through 9, Judges chapter 16. The third is that the hypocrite never acted in duty from the leaning and inclination of a new nature. He does not take delight in heavenly employment, but is moved more as a clock is by the weight and balances of some external motives and advantages. 5. Do not conclude that you have no grace because you do not grow as perceptibly as some other Christians do. You may be mistaken in many ways about this. First, you may measure your growth by your desires. Then it appears to be nothing because the Christian aims high and grasps at everything. You may compare yourselves with those who have larger capacities, more time, and more advantages than you. Third, you may compare your graces with the gifts of others that you mistake for their graces. And last, you may think that all growth is upward in joy, peace, and comfort, but you may have grown instead in self-denial and humility, which is as true a growth as the former. Watch out for these mistakes. They have been very damaging to the peace of many Christians. Rule 5. Last, do not decline sufferings when God gives you a fair call to them. As a Christian, your suffering time is commonly your clearest and most comfortable time. Scripture. For the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. 1 Peter 4, verse 14. That which has been in suspense for many years is decided and cleared in a suffering hour. Now, I have finished showing you how to attain this necessary qualification also.